Well, let me begin by saying that my, our youngest, Noah, graduates from high school at 3 o'clock this afternoon. There's about 500 people in his graduating class, so we all have to go to, to uh, St. Charles Family Arena. And I love you all, but that I didn't dress like this for you, okay? <laughs> I, uh, I, tend to, uh, I tend to take a bath and brush my teeth for you all, but that's about it, okay? Uh, Otherwise, I'd be in jeans and boots, and thank you for loving me enough to allow me to be in jeans and boots most of the time. So, hey, I do want to mention to you that we have a Denver mission trip coming up uh, pretty quick. It's June 18th through the 25th, June 18th through the 25th to Aurora, Colorado. So, First Baptist Church there we're going to be working with. Still need some help. We'd love for you to jump in and sign up on that. We're getting ready to try to do airfare on about Thursday, so we need to know by Wednesday. You can call the office, get more information, or you can sign up on a sheet that should be out here on the activity center, and somebody will get in touch with you. Bottom line is uh, our missions committee is willing to help with uh, partial scholarships. It's an opportunity to be able to go somewhere probably for maybe a 100 or two out of pocket and uh, a, a pretty inexpensive trip for flying out. And, you know, we will get plenty out of you in blood, sweat, and tears, though. So, but anyhow, it'll be a, a great time. Well, hey, we're back into the series in the book of Hebrews. And uh, we've uh, left that a, a couple times here and there because uh, we had great things like our Who's Your One Sunday, you know, the uh, Friend Day on Palm Sunday. We had Easter Sunday last week, the beauty of Mother's Day. And so uh, today we jump back in. We're going to be studying out of Hebrews chapter 6. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles if you would. If you have your copy of God's Word, if not, it'll be on the screen or you can look it up on your phone app. If you're joining by live stream, I want to welcome you uh, to the service this morning. But Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 is where we'll begin to read here in a short time. We've started this series each time by asking the question, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? It's every believer, every person on the planet today needs to ask that question as well. But the reason why this question was asked to the Judeans that were being written to from God through the writer of Hebrews back in the book of Hebrews is because we had a group of Jewish people who had understood the gospel, understood that the Messiah had come, the rescuer, that the Lamb of God had come, he was slain, his blood was shed, he died and he rose again, and they had embraced that. But then as people's tendency is, they begin to go back to some of their works in order to add things to the blood, okay? It kind of began to water down the blood a little bit. That was the worry of the writer of the book of Hebrews, or God through him, to say, listen, guys, Jesus did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. He did not come to do away with the law. He came to complete the law. And even though the law is not, is not uh, forbidden, it's not necessary. Make sure what you're hanging on to is the blood, the blood, the blood. Because they'd come out of a works kind of mentality that was vital works, that was important works. They would go and get a temporary fix by having a, 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 an animal sacrificed in the temple, a temporary fix for their sin, and they'd have to repeat that and repeat that. And all these things were going on, and I believe what happens many times in that setting is you can really end up embracing and saying, I get it, the Messiah is here, but then all of a sudden say, but wait a second, what if we do the blood plus circumcision? What if we do the blood plus something else? And they begin to go back, and so they continue throughout the book of Hebrews to warn 
warn against that very thing. So the title of this series has been Encouragement for the Journey, and it comes out of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 22. They wanted to encourage uh, these precious uh, followers, and just to understand all the more, you're at a crossroads in your life, and here was a crossroads. Either they could continue to embrace Jesus and the blood and the blood only, or they could go back to a system of works and go back to the law and the law only, and what would that do? Would that cause them to lose their salvation? No, it wouldn't because we, we, uh, we're going to study that here in a moment. But what about their children that was following them? What about their children? If parents begin to say the blood isn't enough, even though they surrendered the blood and they begin to backslide, what about children that would follow in behind them and would never embrace the blood at all? So they were at a crossroads to be able to either go back to the bondage of the law or have the freedom in Christ, okay? And I want to tell you, uh, the reason why is because these guys were not only coming out of a system of works, and once you come out of a system of works, it's just hard to understand grace, okay? But secondly, they were under a lot of persecution. They were, they were, some were even being killed, but they were being persecuted, losing their jobs, all kinds of things going on. So this was a difficult thing. So they needed to cross the bridge uh, and get and, and away from the law and into the grace of, of the blood of Christ and burn that bridge behind them and burn that bridge behind them in a way that they would not return to the law only, but hang on to the grace of the blood of Jesus. Because here's what we found out. There is only one thing that gives us favor with God. One thing and one thing only. And you know what that is? The blood. It's the cross. As a matter of fact, I want you to know, if I go out today, share Jesus with five people, uh, help three little ladies across the street, give five, $5 to the poor, or $100 to the poor, whatever, or if I go out today and blow it in every way, God still loves me just as much on my worst day as he does on my best day. And here's the reason why. There's only one thing that gives you and me favor with God, and that is the blood of Jesus. We can add no works to it, none whatsoever. And sometimes even us right here as Christians in North America can add works. We think some way, somehow, we can gain God's favor a little more. Now hear me. Do good things by all means. Be obedient to the Lord. But here's the reason why. It doesn't give me a free ticket knowing that the only thing that gives me favor with God is the blood of Jesus and it's not my works and he loves me just as much and I'm just as secure on my bad days as I am on my good days because of his blood that doesn't give me some kind of well I'm just going to go out and live like the devil not at all it's just the opposite you know what it does it causes me to say man I want to passionately run after Christ I don't always get that done but why do I want to do that because I want to show him that I appreciate the fact that he's going to love me regardless man that'll set you free that's whenever people are running after Jesus out of a relationship and not out of a religion. They're running after Jesus out of freedom and not out of some kind of checklist you're trying to do to see if maybe he'll love me more today than he loved me yesterday. Listen to me. The blood of Christ, if you've surrendered to Jesus, he's covered your sin. It's the only way we have favor. And that's what they continue to talk about. Roger did something really cool, and we won't show this slide just yet, but did something really cool the uh, uh, last couple of weeks, and he's even got it on his screensaver on his phone. Um, he, took, he had Brenda go outside, and he took a picture of her shadow. And I uh, thought that was pretty unique. He said Brenda's shadow was the essence of the substance. If you saw her shadow, you knew Brenda was there. But wouldn't it be crazy if he fell in love with the shadow? instead of the substance, right? And that's what the Old Testament is. The Old Testament is from the prophets to the law and everything is the shadow of the substance to come. And the substance is Jesus. So I took a picture this week of Roger's shadow, okay? And we can show that here because I want to do the same thing. So now I just want you to know, Roger is in the room. 
And for, for the record, I'm not the one mocking him. You are by laughing. I love you, Roger. You're my pastor. He's back there. He's flexing right now. He's flexing right now. Don't rip the shirt, brother. But anyhow, that is a shadow. But the real thing is coming, and it's Jesus, and that's an exciting thing to think about. So let's jump in here, uh, just to kind of reiterate, uh, as we go on to uh, verse 1 here in uh, Hebrews chapter 6, again, to reiterate, we have Jewish people who lived by the law, who now understand Jesus, that it's only the blood, that the law is permissible, not necessary, that Jesus came to not take away the law, but fulfill the law, and, and they were wanting to go back to their law and, and, and begin to water down the blood. And the whole Bible is to say, listen to me, whatever you do, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about the blood of Christ. It's applicable today. And the reason why is because we have the tendency as believers to still think, as I mentioned a little bit ago, if we do these things, are we doing it because we have a relationship with Christ, or are we doing it to try to gain some kind of favor? But it's also applicable today because most people I'm convinced in North America who identify with Christianity, who would say that they are a Christian, would have a system of works in their mind. They have the same thought that I had until I was 24 years old, which is a balancing scale mentality. It says, if I do more good than bad, I'll squeak into heaven by the skin of my teeth. If I do more bad than good, I'm going to have to go to hell. And it makes sense humanistically, doesn't it? I mean, surely we're going to have some skin in the game with this thing. And it makes sense. Joy and Noah and I, were in. Uh, we flew out to Phoenix uh, this past Thursday and Friday. So day before yesterday, we're on the flight back, which, by the way, is the first time Joy has been out of the proximity of Hannah since January of last year. And uh, Michaela and Chris came in and stayed with Hannah. And uh, our, our son that's graduating today, Noah, he's going to be a, a student out at Grand Canyon University this fall. It's a great Christian university in Phoenix, a little too far from us. But they ended up reaching out to us and heard about our family's ministry uh, called One Team International and said we'd like to work a partnership and train a next generation leader. So they flew us out there for some meetings with their Bible department and, and how we could begin to partner in that relationship. So we're on our way back. It was the uh, day before yesterday, and we, our seats weren't together. So Joy's seat was uh, on the same aisle as me, but it was over against this window, and I was over against this window. So it's window, three seats aisle, three seats window, and we're on opposite windows. And so as we're getting ready to get on uh, and, and turn our little corner into our little uh, row, uh, she said, oh, this is actually your seat, but I'm just going to grab it. I said, sounds good. So I sat over here. And I sat down beside this young man, 18 years old. His name's Ty. And Ty was coming in from uh, Fort, uh, Fort Pendleton. Uh, he's a Marine. And so he just finished boot camp, and he was flying by way of Phoenix onto St. Louis and then was going to take uh, you know, transportation to Fort Leonard Wood here in Missouri where he was going to go through the next phase of his, uh, of his uh, you know, training. And I said to Ty, I said, Ty... Uh, so where are you from? And he was he's a little bit outside of Chicago, out kind of in a rural area, lived with his grandparents. I don't know why mom and dad weren't in the picture. I didn't go there. Uh, I said, what's your favorite thing to do? He said, I love to work. He said, even whenever, before I went into the Marine Corps, I, uh, I bust tables. And, and on the days that they weren't even paying me and I wasn't even supposed to be in, I would go in and work because I just love busting tables. This guy just had great people skills. We had a great time just kind of hanging out there and uh, talking together and, and uh, you know, told him I was proud of him and, and uh, thanked him for what he was doing. And, and so it was Friday, okay, a day for yesterday. So I thought it was probably time to start a sermon prep uh, for today, right? 
Yeah, and so anyhow, it's been a busy week. And so I pull my little tray out, pull my Bible out of my uh, backpack, and I begin to uh, scribble. So I'd been thinking about it for a couple weeks, just to let you know, okay? But it was time to put something down on paper, even though I can't really read it because of my handwriting. So, and there was a little turbulence on the plane, in fairness, with my handwriting. But anyhow, um, so I, I begin, and I get to this part, and I begin to think about how many people in the United States and how Hebrews is so applicable with us. And it, it caused me, I leaned over to Ty, and I said, Ty, do you believe in life after death? Do you think there's some place after this place? He said, I do. And I said, so like heaven and hell? He said, yeah. I said, so what do you think it would take for somebody to get to heaven? And I wrote down his answer. He said, being the best person I can be. And then he thought about it for about five seconds, and I could tell he was kind of wanting to unpack that a little bit. And then he, he repeated, he said, yeah, that's it, being the best person I can be. And I said, Ty, I want to tell you, that's exactly, and I get it. I mean, I, it, it makes sense. I was 24 years old. He said, I, I, said, I just need, I, I won't go more than about 10 minutes if you, if you give me your permission. But I, I want to tell you, I can't stay focused on anything for more than about 15 minutes. I think there's medicine for guys like me. I should probably find that out and take some. But I've been talking about this one thing for 36 years. It's had such a profound... And I found out it's not about being the best person I can be. And I, I shared the gospel and about the blood of Christ. And if we, as sincerely as we know how, surrender to him. And he listened so intently. I kept my word at the 10 minutes. And I go back to sermon notes. He falls asleep. And I knew the Holy Spirit was saying, re-engage, but don't wake him up. And, uh, and so I did something I've never done before. I, I took a piece of paper out and I wrote out in full what I said to God 36 years ago, dear God, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm helpless. I, I'm a sinner, and sin separates me from you. You're perfect, and I'll never stop sinning, so I have to go to hell. In my strength, I, I have to go to hell, but I need to be rescued, and there's only one rescuer strong enough, and there's only one thing strong enough to cover my wicked sin. And I, I just walked through that. And God, as sincerely as I know how, I surrender to you. Jesus, as sincerely as I know how, I repent of my sin. I follow after you. I accept you. So I wrote that out. About an hour and a half later, he wakes up. I lean over to him. I said, I want to tread lightly here, Ty, because if I can talk you into something today, somebody else can talk you out of it tomorrow. And that's not my intent. But I, I want to read something to you that I said to God about 36 years ago. And uh, I read it to him. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, man, this is exactly what I need. And I said, you know, Jesus is just as much on this plane. And it's not about saying these words. It's about understanding this fundamentally in your heart and in your mind. But if you want a moment, you can nail down. And so he looked at that paper and bowed his head and walked through that with the Lord there on that plane. We had our uh, young adults, our rising last night. Man, we got some of the greatest young adults uh, we had a, a great group of them here. They brought 16 kids with them, by the way, from uh, f uh, four months old to uh, nine years old. Thank God for Robin Gurling. And But I'm, I'm saying, that young adult group is all about church growth, okay? I'm telling you, they are having babies left and right. So, but, <laughs> but I, I had, I got two texts from Ty last night during the rising, talking still, and we're getting ready to send a Bible to him. And all that stuff. But th this whole thing, and by the way, I wasn't even supposed to be in that seat. Joyce said, I'll take it. And the lady that Joyce sat by talked nonstop. That would have driven me nuts. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, I got to talk nonstop. Can you imagine without getting any airtime? And she was already a believer, but I would have been looking for a handle of the window to throw myself out of. So thank God for my bride. So, anyhow, I can tell you that 
that it's just the Lord, but the start was being the best person I can be. And I think that's where a lot of us can be if we're not careful, and most people that identify with Christianity our nation still are today because they, it just almost seems like it must be too good to be true. That God wants to give us this gift that we surrender to. It's more than a forgiveness gospel. It's definitely a surrender gospel, but it's not about works. And so how do we do that? So listen to what it says as the writer of Hebrews, God through him, continues to write here in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Listen to what it says. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go to perfection, not laying again the foundation. Say foundation. Of repentance from dead works. Say dead works of faith toward God. Now that ends with a comma, but I'm going to end there because it's in the first one, verse one. Listen to what it says. It says, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. What's that talking about? Well, Josh, a couple weeks ago, preached out of Hebrews chapter five, we're talking about you guys are still on milk and you need to be on meat. And whenever we look at that word foundation, say foundation, it's a builder's term and we understand that. You've got to have a great foundation. And they had the great foundation of Christ, but they're saying don't just stay there. Build on that. Continue to grow. Go from milk to meat. That's one interpretation of this passage of that verse. But it goes on to say the foundation of repentance from dead works of faith toward God. I believe this is a stern warning that says whatever you do, you came out of a system of works and if you're not careful, even though you've embraced the blood of Jesus, you're still going to want to try to think you've got to earn this somehow and you're going to start just doing things that are more ritualistic and more empty and not really about what it's supposed to be about and he continues to forewarn them through this whole thing and then he says in verse 2 of the doctrine of baptisms of laying on of hands of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment now there are two rails to run down here okay rail one a lot of scholars believe the interpretation of this verse, whenever it talks about the doctrine of baptism and laying on the hands, it's not New Testament baptism they're talking about here, but they're talking about it's the same word used whenever they would use ceremonial, ceremonial cleansings of the Old Testament, whenever they would do ceremonial bathings of the New Testament, and that's what they're talking about. Don't go back to the law whenever you've got the blood of Jesus. Whenever it talks about the laying on of hands, many scholars say right before the, that that animal, that lamb or goat would be sacrificed in the temple, the father of that family would lay hands on its head, symbolically passing the sins of the family to that goat so the blood would be shed for a temporary, only a temporary fix that they'd have to do again and again and again. And it says, don't go back to that. Don't go back to that. We have the completed task now. We have the one and done, the blood sacrifice, and we're, you are under the blood. Now, I also believe it runs along a second rail as well that we all need to be very cautious of, and that's this. And, and I'll I'll unpack it a little more here in just a moment. But whenever it says of the doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, there's also some scholars that refer to other New Testament passages that take you to places where people were baptized, where there was a laying on of hands and there was healings and stuff like that. So I still believe that a part of this is saying to a group of people that based everything in the past on very important works, you understand, they needed to do this law in the Old Testament. They no longer needed to do it in the New Testament, but they would end up going back to empty. Remember where it said, dead works 
to try to prove that they still have something going on with God and they would end up baptizing maybe out of the wrong reason and they would be looking for the opportunity of laying on of hands but it would be for the wrong reason and, and he's just saying remember the only thing that gives you favor with God the only thing is the blood of Jesus and the explanation mark and it clears it up a little more for me is in verse 3 whenever it talks about the baptism laying on of hands etc it says and this we will do if God permits. So on that line where it's saying, don't just go back to empty works. Make sure you're doing this for God because these things we will do if God permits. The only thing I can compare it to is this. I love to see God move. I love it whenever we're in this room and five people maybe come forward and say, I want to surrender to Christ. Don't you love that? Amen? It's an exciting thing. But if next week nobody comes forward, guess who's still in the room? Just as strong just as powerful. God's still here. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times we would take youth groups on mission trips, and week one would be Houston, Texas, week two, St. Louis, week three, Kansas City, week four, Denver. And inevitably, maybe about week two in St. Louis, God would do something that was so spectacular that I desperately wanted to replicate it in Kansas City the next week. And you know what I found out? I can't. I, I had God figured out a whole lot more 30 years ago than I do now. I don't know anymore what causes him to show up. It seems like the only time he shows up is whenever no one can get the glory but him. But man, I'm telling you, we can't replicate. And he's saying, he's giving that warning to him to say, listen, don't go back to the old law. Whatever you do, whenever you've got the blood of Christ, he's the finisher, he's the completer. But also, as you're doing this, because you come out of a system of works, make sure that you don't accidentally come into thinking that you're going to gain some kind of favor with God if you do all these extra works and almost force it to happen whenever the only thing that gives us favor with God is the cross, is the blood, is the blood, is the blood. And so um, he continues to say that. Then we get to verse 4. Verses 4 through 6 I love, and there's multiple reasons why. But I want you to listen to this because there are varying views of what this passage means, okay? It says in verse 4 and following, For it is impossible, say impossible. impossible. Let's remember that word. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tested the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. Some people say, wow, can you lose your salvation? Is that what this is saying? It's not what this is saying, and here's the reason why we know that. Because, I want you to listen to it again, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted God's good word and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. In other words, I know several denominations that believe that you can come to Christ and then lose your salvation. We don't believe that. We believe the Bible teaches consistently that nothing or no one can snatch us out of his hand. He should have dropped me like a hot rock. I can't even tell you how many times, but he hangs on to us. Aren't you glad? But every denomination I know that says you can lose your salvation all believe you can get it back. Yeah, you might come to Christ, you lose your salvation, but you repent again, you come back. This is clear that if they fall away, there is no way to renew them to repentance. It's not consistent with the debate that you can lose your salvation. There's others that say 
Well, these aren't people that really came to Christ. They only tasted of the heavenly gift. They didn't really full on embrace. But again, if that's the case, why would it be that they would never be able to come to repentance? It doesn't hold water. So the only thing that holds water with this passage is this. What it's saying is, it is impossible for those who are once enlightened. And by the way, I believe these people are full-on believers. They have surrendered to Christ. Listen to this strong wording again. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened, enlightened, say enlightened, and have tasted, say tasted, the heavenly gift, and have become partakers, say partakers. They have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. This isn't at a distance. We kind of got rubbed, you rubbed shoulders with the Holy Spirit, taste a little bit, and oops, we missed it. These guys are partakers. And listen to this. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. They are believers. It's saying, if it were possible for them to fall away. Not saying it's possible. Earlier it says it's impossible. If it were possible for them to fall away, they would never be able to come back to repentance. It doesn't make sense that anybody could fall away. Because the only way that they could come back to repentance is if Jesus was crucified all over again and put to open shame. And here's the deal. He'll never be crucified again. And he took on the shame of my filthy, wicked sin that should have stained me for life. And he took on your shame as well. And he will never take on shame again. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's returning one day and it's going to be a different story. But I'm telling you, he'll never be crucified again. So it's saying... It's impossible for someone to fall away. But if they did, think about it. They'd never be able to come back unless Jesus was crucified again. And it's not going to happen. Nor will he be subjected to that open shame again. Now, I love verses 4, 5, and 6 because it is a run-on sentence. And I love run-on sentences. (laughs) Every paper I ever wrote in college, my professors would always say, okay, but you got too many run-on sentences every time. And I am a comma and semicolon guy, okay? But I want you to listen to this run-on sentence, all right? And then we're going to take a little bit out. See, because if I said to you, Bob, comma, in the beautiful sunshine, comma, drove to church. It makes sense, right? But we're supposed to be able to take out whatever's between the commas to shorten the sentence and it still makes sense. So Bob, comma, in the beautiful sunshine, comma, drove to church. If you take out between the commas, it would mean... Bob drove to church. Makes sense, right? So I'm going to take a few things out of the comma after we read this, uh, this uh, run-on sentence. First, because I just love run-on sentences, I've got to read the whole run-on sentence again, okay? Are you ready? For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, comma, and have tasted the heavenly gift, comma, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, comma, and have tested the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, comma, if they fall away, comma, to renew them again to repentance, comma, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, comma, and put him to an open shame, period. That is a great sentence, okay? <laughs> but I want to remove some of the stuff that kind of continues to expound between those commas, okay? For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, comma, if they fall away, to renew themselves again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. It's impossible. If we fall away, Jesus has to be crucified again. 
And that's not going to happen. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm telling you, he's saying to these people of this day and to you and me today, guys, whatever you do, hang on to the blood. Hang on to the blood of Jesus. It is the only thing that will give us favor with God and you've surrendered to it and you can't lose it, but don't go back. Don't go back and not only don't go back to some of the customs that you're used to, but don't, in our day, turn this into some kind of ritualistic, we're working for God because we hope he loves us more. No, we're working for God because he already loves us because of the blood and we are set free and we want to run after a relationship and not out of duty or religion, but out of relationship and love. And man, that will set us free. Isn't it great that we can serve him? But on the day, and and again, I can't stress enough, why do we want to serve him? Because we want to show him we appreciate the fact that he's going to love us whether we do it or not. And it it gives us a freedom to be able to do that. Listen to what it says in verses 7, 8, and 9. He paints a picture, as he often does. And in this setting, it's a picture in agriculture. Now, listen, remember again the tenor of this entire chapter. The tenor of this chapter is to believers. This almost sounds like it's a saved, lost thing in these two verses. It's not. It's written to believers. So what's it saying? For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it's cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Here's what it's talking about. Talking about believers. It says, listen guys, whatever you do, don't serve him out of a sense of duty and out of a sense of trying to make something happen because you feel like if God isn't showing up that he's, he's not there or to go back to the old law whenever you've got the completion here in front of you. But he says, but by all means, still work for the Lord. Just do it for the right reason. Because if you are someone like that field that takes in rain and produces a crop, you're going to have the blessing of God on your life as a believer. But man, if all you produce is briars and thorns, you will not have the blessing of God. This is not health and wealth. You're still going to have kids that get cancer. There's going to be all kinds of things on this broken earth that goes on. But I want to tell you, whenever we run passionately after the Lord, there's such purpose with that, I can't even describe it. There's not been one morning that I've woken up since August of 1986 and wondered why I was here. Not one morning. I haven't always accomplished what I was supposed to do. I've blown it in more ways than I can even keep track of. But I can tell you, I know every morning why I'm supposed to get out of bed. You know the purpose that brings? You know the peace and satisfaction God brings? Whenever we run after him in a passionate way, and I can't tell you how many times my run looks a whole lot more like a limp, and, and, a, and you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm effective, but I'm saying whenever we do what verse 7 says. There's a blessing that comes with it that's second to none. And when we as believers do not, the blessing is not there. So this is not talking about the root of salvation. It's talking about our fruit of our salvation. There should be fruit. And whenever we have that fruit, I'm telling you the blessing is unbelievable. And then the explanation mark on verse 9. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany. Say accompany that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. So they say, look, we're speaking about hang on to the blood, hang on to the blood, hang on to the blood. But I'm going to tell you, there's some sweet stuff that accompanies that if you run after God and if you are one that bears fruit. 
Now, the thing I love of the way Roger has this set up is whatever we don't get to on Sunday morning, we finish on Wednesday night. So, Brenda, if we could, let's go all the way to the back slide. And there's one thing especially that I would love to share, but I'm not going to. But if you can make it Wednesday night, we'll do it on Wednesday night. Uh, but I do want to come to a close here to respect the Lord's time uh, uh, in you all's time this morning. So, because really what happens in those next verses that are, is a reiteration of what we've already talked about, but man, in a, wow, a powerful, powerful way. But listen to what it says in verse 19 and 20. This hope, and again, what is this hope we're talking about? The security in Christ, the blood of Jesus, making sure we're hanging on to the blood as our, as our completion and, and uh, uh, the, the final. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Man, I want you to let that soak in. As an anchor of the soul. Can you imagine? I mean, man, I'm telling you, I, there is nothing that can move Christ from us. He loves us. He loves us that way. It goes on, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Now, we know what that means. In the Old Testament, there was a room called the Holy of Holies, and there was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And the Jewish people could come into the rest of the temple, but one guy and one guy only could enter behind the veil into the Holy of Holies one time a year, and that was the high priest. They'd tie a rope around his ankle in case he had a heart attack and died. So nobody else could go back and get his body out of there. They had to drag him out. Or maybe he'd have sin in his life, and they're afraid God would start him. I don't know, but I'm telling you, one guy could go back there. But you know what was behind the veil? The presence of God. And here's what it's saying. Listen to that again. This hope which we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. That's the presence of God. Where, verse 20, the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever. Say high priest. priest. Say forever. forever. According to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I want to close with a, with a visual aid here, okay? And I'm going to get some help, and I'm going to tell you that you don't have to say anything, okay? Because some of these guys I'm a little afraid of. But John, why don't you come up and help me, okay? Come on up, John, all right? John is the high priest, all right? We just talked about the veil, right? And the presence that's behind the veil. So John, if you'll come and stand right here. John is the high priest. And I want to tell you something about John. John is the only guy, the only guy... They can go in behind the veil to the presence of God, and he does it once a year. Say once a year. Say once a year. Say once a year. Once a year. And then here's what happens. The big shot, John, comes out and tells all his little shots if we're Judeans what God just said, okay? That was the design. You got me? Now we got Leon. Leon, where are you? Come on up. We got Leon the priest. Now Leon isn't the high priest. He's the priest. And let me tell you what separates Leon from John. The veil. So Leon, if you'll stand here. John, you can come out a little bit. And Leon, if you'll stand right here, okay? And here's what separates these two guys. You got high priest John. You got priest Leon. And there's this veil right here. Leon can't go behind the veil, okay? Matter of fact, the only way the priest Leon can find out what God just said is if high priest John decides it's worth his, well, his time to come out from behind the veil and say to priest Leon, here's what God just said, okay? And by the way, how, how often did John, the high priest, go behind the veil? Once a year, okay? So, now we have Nick, okay? Nick, come on up, all right? 
Kristen's liking that. It's your turn next, so don't laugh too hard, okay? Come on up, Nick. So, Nick, you'll stand over here. Here's Nick. Nick is a Jewish man. Nick is a Jewish man. The only way that Nick could get any kind of idea of what God said is if Leon the priest decided it was worth his time to tell Nick, the Jewish man, what God just said. And by the way, the only way Leon the priest could figure it out is if John the high priest decided it was worth his time to come out from behind the veil and tell Leon the priest so he can tell, so he can, so he can tell Nick, uh, the Jewish man. And by the way, how often did he go behind the veil? You're doing good. Kristen, come on up. God bless you. Kristen is the Jewish wife. Now, I want to preface this, okay? Everywhere the gospel goes, women are elevated. Everywhere the gospel goes, women are created equal. I can't tell you. We've been in areas of the world where we've spent 10 years going in and out, and the gospel continuing to spread. And when we first got into these, these tribal areas, you'd see all these things hanging in the trees that were to protect them from the evil gods. And every man had something around his bicep that was actually tied around his waist as a baby on the day he was born from the witch doctor, and it was to protect him and ward off evil spirits. Sometimes they had multiple wives, but if they only had one, they treated them horribly. Women were treated terrible. And then the gospel entered in. And every time we'd come back, we'd see those things out of the trees and those things off the man's arms. And we saw laughter and embrace between husband and wife. Because where the gospel goes, it is not something that pushes women down. It is something that causes everyone to understand we are created equal. We are created equal. But in this day, for the sake of this illustration, wasn't the case. So the Jewish wife was property. I mean, the Jewish man had livestock that was more valuable. So, Kristen, what I want you to do is go stand in the corner. <laughs> Sorry, Nick, don't work me over afterwards. Cause... No, actually, keep, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, turn, turn around. Looks like she's got a lot of practice at But anyhow, <laughs> I'm kidding. You can turn back around. But I'm telling you, it's the way it was in that day. Do you know how hard it was? The only way the Jewish wife would have any clue what God just said is that the Jewish man thought it was worth his time and it would happen to maybe, maybe be a good day. And he would let her know. And by the way, the only way the Jewish man would know is if the priest decided it was worth this time. The only way the priest knew is if the high priest decided it was worth this time. And how often did he go behind the veil? Once a year. Josh. Yeah. Josh is a Gentile. Here's what that means. You're not even welcome here. Yeah. Come here a second. I want you to go back and stand by the back door. And then go out and on the traffic on the street. No, I'm kidding. Just stand on the back door. This is a Gentile. We, the Gentiles wouldn't even be welcome. Do we have any idea how difficult it was for a Gentile to have any understanding of what God did. And listen, you know who the Gentiles are today? It's us. I mean, we've got a few people in our church, Jerry and some that are from Jewish descent, but we're the Gentiles. Do we know how difficult it was? But here's what this verse says. The veil. We now have access to a new high priest forever. You know who it is? It's Jesus. Let me tell you something that happened to this veil. The moment he closed his eyes in death on the cross, the Bible says that veil was torn, not from floor to ceiling where some man could have done it, from high ceiling to floor, and he came crashing to the ground with many eyewitnesses, and it was only God that could have done it. And what it meant was this. 
everybody had equal access through the new high priest, Jesus, to the presence of God. We don't go through a man anymore and say, I want to confess my sins to you. Jesus is our high priest. We often close our prayers something like this in Jesus' name. Amen, because he's the guy. He's the priest. So, here's what happens when the bell fell. Come on in, Christian. Come on up, Josh. All right? And everybody just stand in a nice tight circle and hold hands, all right? Because the veil is gone. And our high priest is Jesus. And every one of us have equal access. And it's only through the blood of Christ. If we, as sincerely as we know how, have surrendered to Christ and said, Jesus, you are the sacrifice. Forgive me of my sins. I'm yours. As sincerely as I know how. I'm telling you, we all have equal access to God 24-7. Let's give the Lord a hand and these guys a hand as they go back to their seats. Thank you, God, so much. So, Hebrews chapter 6. Man, guys, I'm telling you, you've surrendered. Jewish people, you've surrendered. But now you're wanting to like it's so human nature to do, go back and grab some of the laws of the old and you're watering down the blood in doing so with the heart in which you're doing. No, it's not just the blood. It's the blood plus circumcision. No, it's not just the blood. It's blood plus this or it's blood plus that. And today you and I can be just as much that way. No, 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 it's not just the blood. Surely I've got to do some works. And many people who are not believers but would profess to be are doing the balancing scales. And all the way through they say, it's the blood of Christ. Surrender to him. And once you do, you can't fall away. Because if you did, he'd have to be crucified again and, open, and, and, and subjected to open shame. And it's not going to happen. And he wants us to be fruitful. But for the reason of running after him in a, in a full-on, passionate love relationship and not out of the duties of religion. He wants us to run after him because he loves us that way and he wants to set us free. And the more of a servant I become to him, the more freedom I have in my life. And I know that seems oxymoronic, but it's true with our God. It's true with our God. And Jesus has stepped in to the position of the high priest and the veil is gone. And all of us, isn't it crazy? Bob Caldwell can talk to God any time. Through Jesus and his sacrifice. And so can you. And you want to talk about a personal relationship. I tell my wife and kids often. I, I didn't marry until I was 31 years old. Our family was a, had some good people that were hard workers, but it was a train wreck that I was raised in. And I love them. Most of them are gone now. But I can tell you, I didn't have any idea that I would be in a ministry. Married almost 29 years to this woman that I love with all my heart with five kids and two uh, son-in-law and daughter-in-law just as much like our kids, so seven. I, I had no idea. But as much as all that means, there's one thing that I can't wait to do and it can't involve joy and it can't involve my kids. And that's the day that I cross into heaven and I just get to thank Jesus to his face. Just give me Jesus. And as much as I love all these people here on earth, 
None of them can even be a part of it. Because he's everything. That doesn't take anything away from the love of my wife and kids. But man, just get me to him. I've got to thank him. And he is head over heels in love with every person in this room. And if you don't know him yet, you can today. And he'll never let you go. If you, as sincerely as you know how, surrender to him.